All right, let's begin. We are in the 50 days of transformation. We started a couple of weeks ago. It's quite confusing, actually, when we started. We are not quite sure, but you could start even today, and that'll be fine. You need to pick up your journal, but your journal is given to you through your home group, so you need to be part of a small group, and we got started last week. Some of you, because of the rain, couldn't get started, but this week, go for it, because it's good stuff. Just raise your hand if you need notes, if you need a pen, if you need uh, a dictator. Yeah, back there, and we're doing great. All right, let's dive in. So, so far we have completed the introduction, and we've done spiritual health, and we have done physical health. Physical health, we focus on stress and the whole issue of our taking care of our bodies. And then, of course, in the, in the youth group yesterday, as well as in, I don't know if, uh, yeah, the youth group, we had already done one, two. So we were sitting there with all our pizza and our chips and everything, and <laughs> sitting on tables. And then <laughs> the pastor, he says, he says, your body is the temple of the living God. You have to stay away from junk food. You have to stay away from... And then we're all sitting there, and everybody quietly put the chip back. <laughs> it was a very convicting experience. <laughs> That's why, you know, layer chips, I lay me down. <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's where the whole thing came from, yeah. All right, I, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is your main verse. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. This morning, I want to look at the NLT version. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. Okay, do not be, let's do it together, everybody. One, two, three. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. NIV says renewing your mind. NLT says by changing the way you think. There is a way that we think. It's not what we think alone, but it's the way that we think which defines us, which makes us who we are. It informs our relationships and informs our words and our actions. And that way of thinking, that changing of our mind is critical to the changing of our life, hence mental health. God is far more interested in changing your mind than he is in changing your circumstances. Listen, I'm going to repeat. God is far more interested in changing your mind than he is in changing your circumstances we want God to change our circumstances we want him to take take away the pain take away the problems take away the sickness take away the suffering the sadness and you're absolutely right he has every right to do that we have every right to ask of him and he who else do we turn to him to turn to for that but him so absolutely yeah however God is more interested in changing the way you think how long would it take him to change your circumstances Pretty much. How long does it take for him to change your mind? To change the way you think? Ah. So he likes challenges. <laughs> he likes challenges. Yeah. So we want God to change our circumstances. Because God wants to change the way we think. Why I must manage my time is what we're talking about this morning. Why is it so important that I learn how to manage my mind? This week, mental health. That's what we're looking at. You've got your notes. You want to be thinking about this throughout the week. Let me give you three reasons. Three reasons. You might, uh, and you can write this down. Number one, three reasons why it's important to why that you handle your mind, that you take your mind very care seriously. You value the way you think, the way uh, your, your brain works. Number one is because my thoughts control my life. 
because my thoughts control my life. Every single action you do, everything you do, you thought about it first. There are, time, there are times and moments when you do something you didn't think about. It just kind of, it came out and then, then you thought about it. But that's few and far between. For the most part, everything began with a thought. Your brain is your greatest asset. Your mind is your greatest asset. My thoughts control my life. If I have a good thought, it lands up in a good action. If I have a bad thought, it lands up in a bad action. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 in today's English version says, Be careful how you think. Be careful how you think. Your life is, look at that, shaped. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. People are so flippant about it, flippant about their minds. We don't think much of it because we think of our mind as a closet. And as long as the guests are there, we just shove everything into the closet, close it, and it doesn't matter what's happening inside the closet as long as the circumstances are controlled. So all the energy and effort goes into controlling the actions, controlling the circumstances, controlling how others perceive us so that what is coming across to others is what we think us. God is saying, the junk in your mind is what you really think us is. That's where the action starts. People just say, oh, no, I was just thinking. No, no, you were not just thinking. That's you. If you're thinking it, that's you. You're like, then Pastor Jerry, you have no idea what all goes through my mind. I do. Because my mind is the same. You have no idea what all goes through my mind, especially when I'm talking to you. Because my thoughts control my life, my thoughts are prime property. I must know what I'm thinking, feel what I'm, I must control what I'm thinking, I must choose what I'm thinking, I must monitor and grade what I'm thinking. They shape you, they shape you. We're always interested in our feelings, how we feel about this, how we feel about that. Next week we'll talk about that, so bring your friends. But today we're talking about thinking. Number two. I need to manage my mind because my mind is the battleground for sin. My mind is the battleground for sin. That, my brothers and sisters, my friends, is where you win or lose. You win and lose in your mind, not after that, not outside. It's not, oh, you know, I thought about it, but I didn't do it. I never did it. I only thought about it. Uh-uh. You've already done it. You've thought about it and that's it. So if you've lost in the mind, it doesn't really matter how, because the Lord has got to do with your mind. When Jesus said, you know, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have sinned. And everybody's like, what? No way. How can we ever? What Jesus was actually saying, he wasn't setting such a high standard so that everybody looks like perverts. What he was saying is, the battle is in the mind. That's where you win. That's where you lose. And he's also saying emphatically that you can win. You can win. You can control your thoughts. It's up there in the mind. It wouldn't even tempt you if you didn't have a corollary desire. It wouldn't even tempt you if you didn't have a corollary desire. It's between your ears that all the temptation happens. There's got to be an equal and opposite <laughs> desire. 
that meets the temptation. Otherwise, it'll be of no. I'll give you an example. Please don't feel bad. Please don't feel judged. It's just an example because I, I can give you from my life. Um, smoking, like a cigarette, doesn't tempt me at all. I mean, I have no desire to smoke. I have all, of, all sorts of other desires, but I have no desire to smoke. You cannot tempt me with a cigarette. Here's the deal. So you can... Put five cigarettes in front of me, all sorts. I don't know how I don't know how the whole thing works, but you 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 could tempt me with it. But there is no corresponding desire. When there is no corollary desire, so that is redundant as a temptation. So the temptation is not out there; it is in here. Do you get what I'm saying? All temptation is in here. For you, what is temptation? For me, what is temptation is different. And here you go into the whole Satan thing. We'll talk about that. How he knows that? But if there is a corollary response a desire that's when i really am tempted only if i have so it proves that i have the desire then only i am butter chicken <laughs> now we're talking corollary desire because when you offer me butter chicken either even a picture is fine I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confessing here. Don't laugh at me. Even a picture is fine. You show me a picture of butter chicken and the corollary desire kicks in. And it happens that everywhere I look, I am being faced with this temptation. Butter chicken, butter chicken, butter chicken. And that's what you think. Because the, the corollary desire within you finds itself being tempted wherever it goes. I'm so weak, I'm so this, I'm so that. You know, wherever I go, that's all I see. That's all. Well, it has to. So the, 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 the thing is there. When we talk about sins of pride, lust, bitterness, hatred, anger, fear, that's not outside. Resentment, envy, worry, that's not outside. That's in here. <laughs> Most of those things are in here. Paul says in chapter 7 of Romans, very articulate, he says, I love to do what God's will is. I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned. There's a part of me that just really wants to do what God's will. But there's something else deep within me that is at war with my mind and wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin within me. In my mind, I want to be God's servant. In my mind, I want to be God's servant. But instead, I find myself enslaved to sin. Look at the words he's using. He's using the words war, fight, slave, enslaved. That's warfare. That's battle terminology. He's using battle terminology because that's what's happening in your mind. It is a battle in the mind all the time. And my friends, brothers, sisters, no wonder we're so stressed out because the mind is in constant battle. Constant, it's a, there's, there's a hit out for against, for against, black, white, constantly. It's debilitating. It is intense. Why? Because what gets your attention gets you. What gets your attention gets you. If it's got your attention, that's what's got you. So I need to manage my mind because my thoughts control my life and because my mind is a battleground for sin and temptation. A third reason why you need to control, take seriously how you think, what you think, things like that, is because it's the key to peace and happiness. It's the key to peace and happiness. And if you apply this, the peace of mind and your enjoyment of life is going to be dramatically increased because it's the key to peace and happiness. Listen to me. An unmanaged mind leads to tension, but a managed mind leads to tranquility. An unmanaged mind, mind leads to pressure. Excuse me. A managed mind, managed mind leads to peace. An unmanaged mind leads to conflict. A managed mind leads to confidence. An unmanaged mind leads to stress, but a managed mind leads to strength. 
security, serenity. You manage your mind, you're going to manage your life. Are you with me? You manage your mind, you're going to manage your life. So it's very, very important. Okay, I lost. Welcome everyone. Are you with me? You manage your mind, you're going to manage your life. That's what we are gunning for here. That's what we're talking about. So I need to manage my mind. I need to find that because it's the key to peace and happiness. Number one, it's the key to? Number one, it's the battleground for sin. Number two, it is the? It controls my life. My thoughts control my life. And two, it is peace and happiness. Look at what Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says. Please, in your Bibles, if your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. You got the contrast there? If the sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. So look at me. So there's two options of what controls your mind. Your sinful nature, the Holy Spirit. The sinful nature controls my mind, death, separation, things that are far from God. Holy Spirit controls my life, life and peace. It doesn't say, it doesn't say you'll be all holy, holy and all chanting and worshipping all the time and you'll be so heavenly minded, you'll be no earthly good. It doesn't say that you're going to be like so up there in a trance kind of thing and you'd be disconnected from the corruption of this world, which is what one tends to think that that's what spirituality is, but it is not. Spirituality is life and peace. And this is spoken into your mind. It is spoken into your mind when you choose to control your thoughts. When you choose to bring your thoughts under the control of the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're at. Death, life and peace. So you've got to make three daily choices. Three daily choices. You make these choices on a daily basis. You discipline yourself to get into this every day. And you're going to do well. Number one. Number one. I must feed my mind with the truth. Number two, I must feed my mind with, number one, I must feed my mind. Number two, I must free my mind. And number three, I must focus my mind. You got that? People are wondering what to do without pens. Do we not have pens? Yeah. Anybody need pens? We're okay? All right. Number one, I must feed my mind with the truth. With the truth. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4, People need more than bread for their life. They must feed on the very word of God. People need more than bread for life. They need, must feed on the word of God. So the word of God is truth. So the question is, when should I feed my mind? When should I feed my mind with the truth? Answer, all the time. Throughout the day, morning, noon and night, all the time. I say, crazy Pastor Jerry, all the time you want me to sit with my Bible open? Nah. Look at what David says. Psalm 119, verse 40, 147. I rise early to cry out for help. That's a prayer. I rise early to cry out for help and to put my, underline, hope in your words. I put my hope in your words. What David is saying, I want to start my day with what you think. <laughs> Not what I think. Because I get up in the morning, first thing I go to the bathroom and I see my face in the mirror. It's all downhill from there. You wake up in the morning, you think about the last thing you went to bed at night. What's the greatest frustration? What is the biggest challenge you have to face today? You leave it to my mind and thoughts, I will come up with the worst deathly, morose things to think about. You leave my mind to itself and it spirals down. 
David, on the other hand, says, I rise early to cry out for help. That's a prayer. And to put my hope in your words. That's Bible. That's the word. Are you starting your day with hope or with despair? Psalm 119 verse 48, the very next verse, he says, Lord, how I love your word. I think about it all day long. So you don't have to be reading the word all day long. You got to read something and then think about it. You can choose what to think about because you have already chosen what to think about. Henna? Everything you think about, you chose to think about it. It's not just dangling in your mind that you have no choice. You chose to think about, you know, anger or bitterness or traffic or heat or how things are not working out or how things could work out or what are the chances. All those things are proven choices. You have, you've chosen to think about that. So, he says, David says, Lord, how I love your word. I think about it all day long. Psalm 16 verse 7 says, even in the darkest of night, your teachings fill my. In the dark night of the soul, in the darkest times of despair, the valley experiences which we were talking about last week. Remember that? Shadow of the valley of death. You got to listen to that sermon. Oh, the valley of the shadow. In my darkest times, I focus on your word, not on my despair. On your hope, not on my despair. Leave my mind to think on how to get out of this valley. Gosh. Okay, verse 95 of Psalm 119 says, When wicked people ambush me, when wicked people hide to ambush me and kill me, I quietly keep my mind on your decrees. See, here's the deal. David has found the secret to not letting the circumstances dictate his outcome. He's found the secret that where my mind is talking to me, I'm going to stop and ask, Lord, what are you saying? And does it differ with what my mind is talking to me? This is completely different, by the way, to emptying your mind. Do not empty your mind. I say once again from this pulpit, from which you hope to hear truth, I say, do not empty your mind. The Bible says, fill your mind. The answer to tranquility and peace and joy is not the emptying of the mind, but the filling of the mind with the truth of God. There you go. Okay, so let's move on. Number one, I need to feed my mind with the truth. And the truth will take care of the rest. It will set you free and it will take care of the lies. Light, light always expels darkness. Number two, I must free my mind from destructive thoughts. I must free my mind from destructive thoughts. Yeah, really? How can I do that? Your minds need to be delivered. They need to be released because you are a prisoner of your own thoughts. You're a prisoner of your own thoughts. Believe it, it's true. Your thoughts have you captive. You're a prisoner of the things that people have told you. Things that people have told you. And they simply weren't true, by the way. They were not true. People say a lot of things. It doesn't make it true. And you are a prisoner of those thoughts because you are controlled by what people told you. And it didn't matter that it was true or false, but that they told you. And you see yourself that way because you're always acting in accordance with the way you see yourself. I want to tell you about three enemies. You have three enemies. Number one enemy you have is your old nature. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, when a person comes to Jesus Christ and puts his faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says the Lord Jesus covers your sin and pays for it by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And then what he does is he puts his spirit, of, his spirit in you. He put, comes to live in you, so he gives you the power and enabling to obey him and to live out his life. So once he has taken out what is bad and he's worked on that, he then begins to instill the nature of God. The nature of God starts downloading and starts installing simultaneously for the rest of your life. So that's what he's done. But the problem is the old nature is still being put to death while the new nature is being installed. So the first OS is still running in the background while the second OS is being, being installed. So we got a problem. We can come across as hypocrites. And both those things are active and involved. And it's not a complete one death. You consider yourself dead to Christ. I am crucified with Christ, therefore now I, etc., etc. Okay? You can consider yourself dead. It's a decision, but it's in terms of implementation, it's still happening. So here's what's happening. You have an old nature at work. And Paul says in verse 23 of chapter 7, Romans, he says, I see in my body, in my body, I see in my body, a principle at war. There's that language again, battle cry war. With the law of my mind taking me captive to the law of sin. The law of my mind is taking me captive to the law of sin that dwells inside me. So he says there's something at work within me that's defeating what I want to be. Let me put it this way. Do you ever find yourself doing something that you know you don't want to do? You say to yourself, I know this isn't good for me, but. And we find ourselves doing that. Do you want to do it? No. So why are you doing it? Because I want to. But if you don't want to, why do you want to? I don't know. And you're there, stuck between heaven and earth, between the wanna and don't know wanna. I see in my body a principle at war, a principle at war. It's the old nature. Your old nature is not your friend. It's a source of all your bad habits. Romans 8 verse 5 says, those who, have, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think, look at that, it's in your way. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, do they do what? They think about sinful things. He's not talking about actions, killing, destroying, murder. He's saying they think. Okay? Those are dominated by sinful nature. They think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, they think. So when you think about being controlled by the Holy Spirit that God has given to you from the day that you believed in Christ, the Spirit of God is given to you and being under His control, one tends to think of spirituality or being under the control of the Spirit as well. I all worship, worship, praise, praise, hallelujah, hallelujah, all day long to the point that your neighbors are sick of you. That's not it at all. It's quite practical. It's quite intelligent. Look at what it says. If you are controlled by the old nature, you'll think stuff that the old nature wants to think about. If you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you will think. So what does it mean to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? Holy thinking. Holy thinking. What is holy thinking? What is holy thinking? Holy. It's, it's, it's like we haven't gotten down to brass tacks with that. What is holy? Holy is when you can tempt me with a cigarette, but it doesn't bother me. It doesn't influence me. I am holy. So when that gunk doesn't get to me, it doesn't touch me. Now you influence me with, it's going to get to me. It's going to get to me. And the closer we get to 12 o'clock, it's going to get to me. So I'm unholy. Get that? I'm unholy with regard to? Yes. And I'm holy with regard to? Got it? You got it? 
You got it. Holiness is something that doesn't touch you. So the so God is not tempted. He's never tempted to think wrong, feel wrong, or do wrong. And that's what he wants for you. He wants your holiness. He wants you to be so immune. He wants you to be so independent emotionally, spiritually, and mentally that it doesn't get to you. It doesn't get to you. So that it doesn't bother you. Someone offers you something that is temptation. It doesn't, it doesn't bother you. It's not a fight. He doesn't want you to be fighting and winning and fighting and winning. Oh, today I made it. I managed to say no. Next day, and you're up and down and up and down and guilt. And finally you walk through that door on Sunday. Everybody knows what I've been doing this past week. Everybody knows. It. And, but nobody knows and nobody cares. But that's all you're thinking about. And living and carrying the two backpacks of guilt as a believer, as a child of God, is not God's will for your life. It is not working. You've got to free your mind of destructive thoughts. Number one, the old nature. Number one, the old nature. If you are dominated by the sinful nature, you will think sinful thoughts. When you're dominated by the Holy Spirit, you will think uh, thoughts that please the Spirit of God. Number two, your second enemy is the devil. Your second enemy is Satan. Satan wants to control your mind, but he can't. I want to tell you this morning from this pulpit that Satan doesn't control your thoughts. Listen to me carefully. I'm going to repeat myself. Satan doesn't control your thoughts. He cannot control your thoughts. He's one being. He's one angel that fell from heaven, has a serious agenda, and he's limited with his agendas and with his abilities. Yes, he's an enemy of God. And because you look like God and act like God and love God, he's hitting out at you because he can't touch God. But he is not your friend. He's not your friend. Satan can, cannot force you to do anything. If you're a believer, if you have the Holy Spirit, he cannot force you to do anything that you don't want to do. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He can make some suggestions, by the way, and he can make very powerful suggestions because he knows somebody likes butter chicken. He knows that. So nobody has ever offered me cigarettes. Ever. Ever. I think in school once they long time, it's in like ninth grade or something, but nobody's ever offered. Why? But butter chicken? Always offering me. Why? Why? Think. Take my simple illustrations, apply it to the right things in your life, and think. He can make some very powerful suggestions because he knows. He knows. If Google can track you, you think Satan's network is any less. One of the most important things is don't believe everything you think. Don't believe everything you think. You have all these ideas and you think, I, I thought it, so it must be true. We have such... A dependence and such a great confidence in our way of thinking. I think I thought it, so it must be true. I want to tell you once again from this pulpit, not everything you think is true. You think he said, see, he said this, he, he did this. No, 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 no. She, but she, she but she was not looking at me like that. No. No, she had something in her eye. She's uh, <laughs> no, it's not true. And Men especially, men especially, they, you know, they have a thought, and it's true. It's 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 not open to discussion. I thought about it. That's it. Any discussion is redundant. Women don't have that problem because they've already moved to the next thing. That's why they have such clean minds because they change it so often. 
I thought it so, it must be true. Because not everything you think is true. Stuff you think about God, stuff you think about yourself, stuff you think about the word, uh, about, the, about, about life, about community, about your, your spouse is not necessarily true. You've got to run it under the grid, through the grid of truth. The point is that Satan schemes. He schemes. He wants to trip you. He knows your weaknesses. He's been watching. He too has a cachet. He too has a... He's been tracking you. And he knows. And he's scheming. Because every time you fall, every time you suffer in guilt, every time you can't lift your hands in worship, he wins. And that's what he wants. That's what he wants. He doesn't want to see you destroyed or anything. He just wants you to work for him. He wants to hold you against God and say, this, this is what you call transformation. No, we're not going to let that happen. Enemy number two is the devil. Enemy number three is the world's value system. This culture around you, the world, the flesh and the devil, the world is not helping. They don't believe what you believe. They are not of the same value system. Nobody around you is actually encouraging you to live responsibly with your thoughts. In fact, they're saying, lose your thinking, be free, just think, be open. They call it tolerance. They call it all sorts of things. They'll come up with big words for it. They'll argue it, argue on TV, yet go home to the very same things that they always believed. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, All that is in the world, all that is in the world, all that is all that is in the world. How much is that? Uh, I was just trying to. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father. Circle not, highlight not. It's not of the Father. All that is in the world is not of the Father. Wow. That's some serious thing to think about. But it's of this world. So how do you fight mental battles? How do you fight mental battles? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Though we live in this world, so that's where you live, that's where your habitation is, that's your colony. Okay. So you live in the world, but the world is not of the Father. Got it? Yes? I lost you. Yes? You're living in the world, but the world is not of the Father. So you're living in, you're not an enemy of the world, but the systems are an enemy. Okay. What do you got to do? Though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. We're not fighting the world. The weapon we fight with are not weapons of the world. He's talking about the mental battle. The battle is up here. It's not with the world. It's inside here. Our weapons have divine power to underline, demolish strongholds. To demolish strongholds. My friends, my brothers, my sisters, my goodness. Strongholds. That's when the enemy gets one foot in your mind and then just sits there until he's, he, you know, he drives that foot deep into the sand and he's got a grip on your life. And that one area of your life you're just not able to shake off. How do you do this? You understand that the battle is in the mind and that's where the strongholds are. You say, oh, I've got these physical habits. No, it's not physical. Oh, I've got these mental habits, uh, emotional habits. No, no, no. It's up here, my brothers and sisters. Your heart doesn't feel, it pumps. It only pumps. All your life it has quietly been pumping and it gets blamed for everything and all it did was pump blood what if it just pouted one day <laughs> I'm stopping for one day <laughs> 
I'm taking off. Too much. I have heartbreak. <laughs> it's in the mind. The, the de demolishing has to be done in the mind. Strongholds need to be demolished in the mind. Circle that word. Look at it. Stare at it. Strongholds. Strongholds. Our weapons have divine power to demolish. So God has given you a certain power to destroy your enemy in your mind. Did you hear me? You can have some serious victory every day in your mind. And nobody else will even know. And you can win. You can win. What's a stronghold? What's a stronghold? Are you ready for the answer? A stronghold is a lie that you have believed. A stronghold is a lie that you have believed. It could be a false value system like the world. That if you make it up to the top of your game in your career, you will be happy. That you will get respect, you'll get honor. That you'll get a place in this world. No, it's not. It's, it's a lie. It could be a philosoph philosophical system like hedonism that says life is about enjoyment. That's not true. There is enjoyment in life, but life is not about enjoyment. Materialism says get all the money you can. That's a lie. That'll give you pleasure. That'll give you security. That'll give, that's a lie. Secularism, hedonism, materialism, all that matters is money, sex, power. These are all lies. A stronghold can be an attitude. Like I'm never going to forgive that person. That's an attitude. It will grab you, hold you, and define the rest of your life for you. Or a stronghold could be, I can never forgive myself. I can't believe I did that. Oh, I'm so stupid. I can never forgive myself. That's a stronghold. Or I will never amount to anything. I will never become anything of any consequence. Nothing works out for me. Really? You find yourself saying, nothing ever works out. For me only. For everybody else, the life is working out great. For me only, nothing ever works out. You find auto rickshaws just turning and leaving. <laughs> Wherever you're standing, auto rickshaws will turn around and leave. She's there. He's there. Move away. <laughs> and you believe it. You believe it. Some people really believe it. I will not amount to anything. If something bad's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. That's a stronghold. It's a lie. It's a lie. The Bible says goodness and mercy shall follow all of you. You're like, no. It's a lie. And he says you're going to learn to be mentally healthy. If you're learn, going to learn to be mentally healthy, you're going to learn how to demolish strongholds in your life. And don't tell me you don't have any. We all do. And the older we are, the more, the more we have. You have strongholds. And my brothers and sisters, if you can start winning in the mind, oof. And by the way, I'm not talking about, you know, positive thinking and all of this whole, you know, lifestyle thing. I'm talking about downright letting the spirit of God, as a believer, letting the spirit of God take over your mind, take over your thoughts. We're going to talk about how that happens. Okay. So that's how you got to do it. Behind every sin is some lie that you're believing. And Jesus says, Satan is the father of lies. But he himself says, I am the truth and the truth will set you. Free. How do we fight this mental battle? Number one, we first take captive. We take captive every thought. Hey, I'm thinking about sex life or I'm thinking about uh, this, this lust or this, this sin or this desire that I have. I'm thinking about it. Now what am I going to do with it? Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And you go through that process. 
Lord, I'm feeling nervous because I don't have enough money. And I'm beginning to think all sorts of weird thoughts of how I'm going to uh, feed myself, how I'm going to, you know, uh, solve this problem. Lord, how do you think about this? What? And you begin to bring thoughts captive to God. You bring it and you lay it. It's not just bring it and then let it sit there. You pray about it and start working with it. The word, the word in Greek is akmolo tizo, which means to conquer, to conquer and take hold of and to make obedient. The second part says, and we make it obedient to Christ. And that means to bring it under submission, beat it down into submission. How do you do that? How do you do that? My thoughts often disobey me. My thoughts, my mind seems to have a mind of its own and it goes in its own direction. It doesn't always obey me. I want to grab my attention, which has gone wandering off. I want to grab my thoughts that have been taking me down a spiral thing and I'm going to say, you're going to listen to Jesus. And we are going to work on what he thinks is final. And if you think that, that's fine. What Jesus says is final. Jesus, what do you have to say? That's when you've opened the Bible for real. You know what I'm saying? That's when you open the Bible for real. That's when you go to the word saying, Lord, I need some serious renovation here. And that's when the spirit of God begins to speak to you. Oh, he does some deep work when he does that. God didn't just give you a mind. He gave you will. He gave you emotions. And we'll talk about that as we move forward. But temptation is primarily hitting out at the mind. Let me explain how temptation works. Number one, you have the desire. And I talked to you about the desire. Temptation comes from the lure of one's own evil desires, James 1 says. And there's four phases. There's desire and then there's doubt. There's desire and then there's doubt. So first I desire, I need butter chicken. And then the doubt comes. But if I don't get it, then God will not give me an equally and tasty food. If I go home, I'm not going to get good food. I'm just not going to get good food. So I need... Yeah. Are you seeing how the whole thing works? Okay. It's a very important uh, metaphor here. And you ask the question, did God really say? Did, did God really say? And you start doubting the word of God. Did God really say forgive that person instead of getting even? Did God really say it's more blessed to, be, to, to give than to receive? Did God really say don't have sex out of marriage? Did he really say that? Did he really mean it? Was it, was it that? Was, was that what? And you start doubting the word of God. Step number three is deception. Deception. And you think to yourself, yeah, but if I do it, it's not going to be that bad. If I go ahead, it's not going to be that bad. If I give in to temptation, it's not going to be that bad. Yes, it is. You're lying to yourself. It's deception. And number four, it's disobedience. And then it bears fruit. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And the end result is death. And then you're disconnected from God again. Again, you're off. Again, you have to come back all the way. And you spend most of your life coming back rather than walking with God. I repeat, you spend most of your life coming back to God rather than walking with God. And then you've got the audacity to say, where was God during my difficult times? I have made up my mind to obey your law forever, no matter what. Psalm 119 verse 112. I have made up my mind to obey your laws, no matter what. he's saying is, I have decided beforehand that I will trust your word above mine. I will trust your thoughts above mine. I've decided beforehand that your thoughts will rule my life, not my thoughts. That's victory. That's where it begins. So you focus your mind on the right things. You focus your mind on the right things. How do you do that? You think like Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3. Think about Jesus. Think about his example. How he led his life. How he managed to pull off the greatest reconciliation redemption event ever in 33 years and say it is finished. Done. How he was able to succeed in 33 for eternity. 
and have a life and have lived a life that we are still singing and talking about. Just 1.2 billion people of us. Number two, think about others. Number one, think about Jesus. Think about others. When you get your mind off yourself, you have less to think about yourself. Don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in what others say. Number three, number three, think about eternity. Think about eternity. When you think about eternity, everything is put into perspective. Wow, it's just amazing. You have 60, 70, 80 years to live, maybe 90. All of that is just a test. It's just a test. It's orientation week. It's training. It's your training time. And you come, you come into your training time and that's going to define the rest of eternity. The rest of eternity, you're not going to be sitting on a cloud with a harp. You're not going to be sitting, you know, in some, you know, weird kind of heaven where everything's all bliss and you're in a trance for the rest of your life or in some kind of coma. Heaven is going to be similar but perfect to earth. Heaven is going to be everything God ever intended earth to be. Heaven is going to be God's presence where he lights up everything. There's no electricity cuts. Heaven is going to be a place where you imagine your greatest excitement, your greatest happiness, multiply that a thousand times and keep it stag steady at that. Imagine everything working out and everything you ever thinking leading to good. That's heaven. Where relationships are absolutely perfect and there's never any misunderstanding. There's no death, there's no parting and that's life as God knows it. Now, he's going to give you a career, a life, relationships and a whole world to live in, in the future post-death. That's what the Bible teaches. And he is testing you now with your mind, with your body and with the spirit of God that he has given to you as to how much he can trust you and what you can trust you. You're both being, under, being trained and being qualified here on earth for what God wants to give you in heaven everyone will get to heaven but what will you do in heaven depends on how you lived your life on earth so when I think with eternity in mind okay is this in worth in the light of eternity is this relationship is this fight is this argument is this failure is this disappointment what is it in the light of eternity <laughs> leave it Chuck it, man. This is not worth my attention. You see what I'm saying? That's not going to be your response to everything, hopefully. But, but, it really brings things into perspective for us. Sickness, for a while. Suffering, for a while. How long? How long? 60, 70, 80 years? Then eternity. Eternity. You know what eternity is like? You live a thousand years... And it's the beginning of the rest. It's just getting started. God has some incredible stuff in line for you. So he says, let heaven fill your thoughts. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Earth has filled our thoughts. Earthly, worldly stuff has filled our thoughts. He says, let heaven fill your thoughts. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things below. Where your life is hidden with Christ in God. No eye has seen. Let's read this together. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You have two choices. You can either trust that or doubt that. 